Hi everyone, welcome to the latest Q&A episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast. I'm Will Dale and sitting across the table from me is the boss, Aaron Noonan. I'm not the boss, Will. Come on now. We're all the bosses <laughs> here at V8 Sleuth. We all have ownership of what we do here. Yes. This is not a boss and employee relationship. No, no, it's we're a just team. Two, we're there's just no two people. Team. No, there's, there's not, but there is in... Yes. Yeah, anyway, I can't think of what I was going to say then. Um, the, our first Q&A was a rating success and we got through... Quite a few questions, but we've got tons more today, uh, so we're going to try to get through more. A lot of people said, hey, you could make this podcast longer, so you know what? We will. We'll yeah. just answer more questions as well as we can. Uh, we've got pages and pages here. Some mm. of them are hard to answer. Some of them are complex. Some of them are easy. Uh, where do we start? Uh, let's start with Yommel. Yommel asks, do you think four-door cars and two-door cars can be made equally parity-wise to compete, or should supercars stick to one or the other? I don't think they should stick to one or the other. I think they need to stick to whatever manufacturers want to run or whatever teams want to run and whatever's good for the sport and whatever's interesting. And I mean, what would you rather, a Mustang this year or a Falcon that's in its 900th year of racing? Exactly. I understand that it's pretty hard to compare and to get a two-door and a four-door car in a parity-based series together in terms of their performances, but... um, No, I think you've got to stick with it. I don't think you can limit yourself to four or two or three or five or any certain doors. I think you need to uh, do the best you can. And this is the thing. It's parity, not equality. And that's where everyone's misunderstanding it. It's one of the most common, misconceived, misunderstood things in the fan world of, well, if a Ford's winning every race, there's no parity. Hmm. But this is a series that's built on technical parity, that the cars have the best opportunity. But then, of course, you have to put the driver into the mix, the team that's running the car into the mix. So would DJR Team Penske win tomorrow in a Nissan Altima? Ooh. No. Ooh. I don't think they would. If you you rolled the car out of Kelly's, gave DJR Team Penske six months, and they couldn't re-homologate anything or they couldn't change anything, they would not be winning a race. No. So that that goes to that. Anyway. Yeah. What's next? What's next? Uh, From Jordan... What are the rules around recent supercars heading overseas, given Brad Jones Racing's first VF is about to head offshore, but DJR Team Penske was blocked from sending Scott, Tr- Scott McLaughlin's championship-winning FGX to North Carolina? Uh, Two-part question, one part incorrect. The mm. championship-winning car's not been blocked. There's been no limitation put on what is the plan for that car. It's been said publicly by Ryan's story that the plan would be eventually that the Scott McLaughlin car would probably find its way over to the US to be among the amazing Penske Museum of uh, significant and winning race cars. Hmm. Um, so I don't quite think that there's there's an issue with that. And there uh, is a DJR Team Penske supercar that is over there. Yeah. But... With very strict, mu- very, very strict limitations on what it can be and what exactly. it can have. Exactly. Which is the Mustang that's been on display in previous months at Ford um, in the US. doesn't have an understray. It doesn't have all sorts of things in it so it can't be used for testing it's not going to be used for testing it's the chassis that was sent over there uh, a few years ago um it was on been... display at Mich- the michigan nascar race recently yeah and, and there's been very very strict conditions in place with that so uh, a lot of our fans are getting wound up about cars and chassis heading overseas which of course the, the thinking is that well if a car could go overseas it's going to go to a wind tunnel or a seven post shaker rig or similar to do a legal testing but i mean the reality is uh, is an issue the bjr car's been sold to the uk mm. uh it's being put back together that's the car jason bright went over on his lid in at yes. the Crystal 500 that squashed that boc commodore um, not much original bar work left in that one they've fully replaced um, the whole pile of it and it spent some time in super two last year 
Yeah, that was Zane Goddard's Correct. car last year. Yeah. And yep. it's also the car that Bright drove to win the first Jason Richards Memorial Trophy. Correct. So it's got some nice history. Uh, Alex Sidwell is a, a ripping guy from the UK. Mm. He owns some ex-supercars. He probably has, I think he's up to three or four now. So that's where that car's going, but no no limitations. They, they'll obviously be deregistered with supercars as active racing chassis anyway. So um, no, no issue there. Got one for you, Will. Yep. Uh, Bevan asks, how many pay drivers are on the grid in 2019 in the Supercars Championship? Oof. That's a bit rough. It's a bit well, no, but it's a fact of life. Oh, true, exactly. Uh, you've probably got two groups there. You've kind of got driver that brings a money that brings budget to get the drive. Hmm. Then you've got the situation of a team owner slash son situation. Brad Jones, Macaulay Jones, Tim Blanchard scenario. Yeah. Um, Simona Di Silvestro brings a sponsor in Harvey Norman. Hmm. Uh, she's also signed to Supercars. Remember the final year of her three year deal. Um, reality is pay drivers are nothing new. So you know, Jack LeBrock's sport. got a sponsor at Techno that Indeed. helps him to be there. There's a range of commercial considerations at play for... And it's nothing new. This no. is the other thing. No. It's not new. It's no. simple it, as that. It's it, not new. If you rephrase the question to how many drivers are getting paid directly and engaged to drive mm. out of the 24 on the grid, it's probably about half, a bit over half. Yeah. Then the rest are either bringing a sponsor to walk in the door or bringing some family funding or bringing a combination of all of those things. Nothing his, new. Yeah. And you look historically back to 97, I don't think the percentage would vary that much. It's probably a little bit lower back then. Yeah. A little bit. But obviously yeah. there were more cars, there were privateers, there were all sorts anyway. So Exactly. Um, that's how it is. In a similar vein, Scott asks, how come back in the late 90s there were 55 cars racing Bathurst? Why is there only 26 cars in the V8 Supercars Championship at the moment? Well, there's 24 at the moment. There'll be 25 at Bathurst this year because the Kostecki brothers, well, Kostecki brothers racing team are running a car, but the Kostecki cousins are driving it between Brody and Jake Kostecki. Um, We've covered this one a lot on our Q&As on social media. In really simple terms, this is racing entitlements contracts. These are franchises. If you have a pie, if you cut it up into more pieces, it's worth less to everyone. Um, over the course of history, evolutions occurred. We created the developments series now Super 2. So that was where the overspill of cars ended up of teams who probably weren't at the level to continue in the professional main game. Um, now we find ourselves in this situation where we're at 25, 26 cars for the biggest race of the year. I think there's a real fascination uh, and a sticking point in the fan base about the grid size for the Bathurst 1000. Does Do you notice it for the second half of the race or for most of the race? I don't. No, I don't think so. You've, we've been blessed in recent years where it's always been a close fight at the front. So you're paying attention to that. And you think back to the, the times when there were lapped cars getting in the way. Can you imagine the amount of screaming that would occur if... Oh. Somewhat, if a lapped car decided the Bathurst 1000 happened in before, this day and age. well, it's happened cr- critical moments of other years' races, but exactly reality is, yeah, look, in the perfect world, I'd love to see 30 cars, 35 cars, I'd love to see five to ten wild cards from the two super, super duper two, super two, that's super what I'm trying to say, two. yeah, something like yes. that. Um, series on the grid, reality is, though, that's your prime pool for pulling co drivers from, exactly. So, they have a round of their series there. That they tried a few years ago to have a non-championship, non-points around there. And how um, many wildcards did they get for the race? Oh, it didn't, it didn't change anything. No. Um, if anything, it just weakened the Super 2 field for the weekend because some teams skipped it because it didn't count for points. So um, at 
core and simple on this, it costs a lot of money to put a race car in the supercar zero on the racetrack for a one-off race meeting. Hmm. So you consider leasing a car, leasing an engine program, testing. It's a big, big dollar thing to go yeah. and do a one-off at Bathurst. And, and, and one then of there's them, no guarantee that you're going to be competitive. No, that's right. And the other thing is that a lot of people say, well, well, why is there not more? Why aren't there wild cards? Why aren't there more? Well, there are. You can get a wild card. Mm. It's just that there's not many people out there that can physically go and muster the sort of kanga that you need to go and mount a project to do a one-off wild card start in the Bathurst 1000. It's a massive, massive undertaking, and and that's the main reason why we're at where we're at. But the, in terms of the field size, that's the state of play of the the cutups. Remember, we had. 32 cars was kind of the 16 two-car teams was kind of the thing for supercars in the mid-2000s. And then we had a bit of pre-qualifying yeah, as well. Yeah, we had a bit of that going on. And then we've we've cut and culled back partly because of the economics of the mm. world. Of course, we had the GFC 10 years ago, so that sort of helped drill a few down and a few franchises have been handed back and the like. But um, basically, that's why we are how we are. And it's yeah, it would be nice to have more cars. I think a visual of 35 cars on the grid at the Bathurst 1000 would be great. Mm. But I don't think that having 25 or 26 is the biggest, most burning underlying problem or emotion of the sport. It's, it is in the minds of a lot of people that we hear from on social media. I don't share the same view. Question for you. Yes. Whatever happened to the first HSV, and this is from Ayrton, good racing name. Hey. The first HSV VL Walkinshaw race car built by Walkinshaw Perkins. I think we'll, there's probably a meshing of things in that question. but So we're talking about the 88. I think we're best to talk about the 88 Walkinshaw Bathurst Commodore here. The one that made it three laps into the race. Oh, I think it was four, wasn't it? Three and oh, a bit? Yes. yes. Three and a third. The one, the one where Tom needed a helicopter to get to get back to the pits. Oh, he didn't have to go that far. Not <laughs> bad. Jeez. Uh, so that was actually the British-built Commodore that came out and raced in 1988. Uh, so what Ayrton's asking about is the Walkinshaw Perkins. Remember that HSV had just started. They contracted Larry to run the HSV racing program. Hmm. Um, Larry prepped a car for Bathurst, fuel-injected VL Walkinshaw-bodied car. Uh, meanwhile, Tom put together one in the UK and they brought it out and they kind of ran as separate teams within the one team. But that car that the backside end fell out of at Bathurst in 88 with Tom at the wheel was reborn and two years later won the race. It's a remarkable win, story. With Wynn Percy yeah. and Alan Grice. It's one of the least raced cars in Australian motorsport history. I mean, it did three laps of Bathurst 88, <laughs> a bit of testing... Um, in that off season, of eighty nine, when uh, the exact program, same thing happened, I for, understand for a program that never happened, mm. uh, and then for nineteen ninety for the, the Bathurst race, it was felt well, we need to build a new car. Mm. They had the opportunity to build a new one out of a new shell, but they had this thing under a cover in the corner, which was stripped out. Um, so they rebuilt it, and what do you know? It goes on and wins Bathurst and runs at the Adelaide Grand Prix, and it's competitive racing life since then. Over. That's incredible. Oh, but the question was, whatever happened to it? Well, it's still around. It's still around. It's at Eggles, Eggleston Motorsports Workshop uh, in Melbourne. Hmm. We saw it at Bathurst a couple of years ago when yeah. it was part of the Legends display. Yeah. Um, one of my favourite parts of that car is when you look at the steering wheel, just two buttons on it, talkies and drinkies. Yeah. What more do you Brilliant. need? What more do you need? Keep it simple. Sheridan asks, when will supercars stop racing on Le Mans weekend? Oh, I think a lot of drives in the field would probably also have the same question, Sheridan. I don't think it's that much of a burning issue. The reality is, if you're paid to run 14 or 15 rounds of supercars, yes, it'd be nice to try to put together a Le Mans deal, but it's not a big priority. But it is interesting that Hidden Valley has always traditionally run on that weekend. 
And I assume that's part of a state government thing that that just fits perfectly in their calendar. Or well, is this more well, of a kind of, if thing? you're going to race in Darwin, you have to be in the dry season. You can't oh, go move sure. it in the calendar because you're going to end up in a drama. Oh. Have we ever had a wet race at Hidden Valley? Off the no, because yeah. it's in the dry season. Yeah, it doesn't rain for donkeys. That's oh. why it's called the dry season. Rains in Townsville in the dry season. It, yeah, well, that's Queensland though. It's completely different. You're all weird in Queensland. Hey, <laughs> hey, okay. You live in Melbourne now, so it's yeah. okay. Uh, Dwayne asks, where will Simona, that's Di Silvestro, drive next year? Ooh, I hope she's in supercars. Yeah, we have agreed. not seen the best of Simona Di Silvestro. Um, three years in the Nissan team, some wild cards before that. Um, I, I think she's a ripper. She's a great chick. She is a world class driver. Look at what she did in Indy cars and the like before she came here to Australia. Exactly. With all due respect to the Kellys, she's not driving a car that's capable of winning races. It doesn't matter who's driving those cars. Um, they are where they are. But oh, it'd be great if she could land somewhere. And, you know, she's gone through three years of learning the tracks, learning the, the racing, learning the cars. It'd be kind of a shame to waste it, really. Absolutely. So if she's not at Kelly Racing next year, where does she go, though? To Harvey Norman stay in the game? Exactly, which is the pivotal question. Mm. Again, they've invested three years in her, and you walk past any Harvey Norman outlet, her face is there. Like they've yeah. leveraged that quite well. Oh, and, and they're great invested. supporters of, of women in sport, which Absolutely. is which is an awesome thing. So, um, where will she drive? I don't know. We get a lot of these questions of almost like crystal balling type yeah. questions. Um, I don't know, but I would like to see her in the championship. Uh, another one, Andrew asks: Is the writing on the wall for my favourite circuit, Sandown? Long-running story, this one of yeah. are we screwed or are we not with the, the future of motor racing at Sandown? You know what our best bet is? It's horse racing. Yeah. So the recent news with um, the racing club confirming that they want to invest a truckload of money into Caulfield mm. uh, and to put together a new track and do all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, I, and I must admit, I haven't read exactly all the fine print on what's been written, but the industry of horse racing saying that we need to keep Sandown because we need it as a training facility. We don't want them to sell it to use the funds to spend on these other um, upgrades and establishments. Exactly. So, Which if um, they don't do that and they want to keep it, well, it stands to reason that if the horse racing circuit's not going anywhere... The motor racing circuit's Correct. not going anywhere either. I think that's there's another income stream. For well, them. and the other thing is, look at the horse racing industry as a whole, and the money that it generates, and the pull that it has in Australian sport, and the foothold that it has. Mm. I reckon motor racing's really smart if it rides the coattails of the horses. Absolutely. Oh, in terms of in this keeping sand down for yes. as long as we can have it, because. Um, Andrew's question, you know, he says it's his favourite circuit. For me, it's special too. It's the first track I ever went to. I love going out there, the history of the venue, the history of the racing that's gone on there. Um, uh, I think we all agree that it's inevitable that one day um, it's going to go, but we've got to fight for it. You know know what? We've seen in the past VFL slash AFL clubs threatened with extinction or Mm. forced mergers or relocations. We've seen passionate groups of supporters stop the AFL, for example, a massive sporting body, from doing what they wanted to do with Footscray, with mm. Richmond, with um, North Melbourne to the Gold Coast, with all these things. Hawthorne and Melbourne merging, the members yeah. stopped it. See, the same thing in NRL with the merger of Central Coast teams yeah. and Manly supporters yeah. just wouldn't have it. And we know that we have a massively passionate supporter base in motorsport. Mm. So it staggers me a little bit to think that we don't have that real yeah. rile up of got to save this place got to go and have the well, fight we do we just it, it doesn't just really seem to go anywhere step of action yeah. Yeah. It just needs that next step of action yep absolutely uh, Rowan asks what options do Kelly brothers have for 2020 well one so, of them is continuing with an Altima 
yeah, uh, they're not the sort of team or the sort of guys that are going to really want to go and buy a customer no. Mustang they're, or ZB. Well, they're too heavily invested in their facility in terms of what their capabilities are. They're one of the few teams that has the actual capability of designing and creating a supercars program from scratch. In terms of engine, in terms of design, they can do all of it. So having well, a customer car... Well, they, anyone can do anything, but you know the, re, the thing that everyone needs? Dollars? Correct. Yes. So I just went to do the whole yeah, finger yeah, rubbing it doesn't thing, but work you can't on podcasts. You can't see yeah. you doing the shake of the, you know, yeah. what, what do you call it even the... I don't even know. Um, Steve asked, to increase overtaking, how about a longer reverse grid race for supercars based on championship points on the Sunday? Good luck, Steve. Wow. That one won't get yeah. up. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> Take I'm that one to the next commission I'm not meeting. against reverse grid racing. No. Uh, Speedway does it every Saturday night. Exactly. Some you of know? the best racing you'll see anywhere. Yeah. And it's just par for the course. Yet... When we did it in, what was it, 2006? Yes. The drivers all crashed into one another and drove like gumbies in half of those races. And the ones who didn't won the race. Yeah. So, but the other thing is it feels artificial. So if you won, or for the guys in championship history, and driving like gumbies is probably a bit hard, but there was a lot of damage and that's why they stopped it. But Mm. at the end of the day, it's the guys driving the cars who need to do the best job of negotiating the other cars in the track without... Exactly. Making contact. And it's not like all of those reverse grid races resulted in upset winners or guys who were down but the back. But they're winners with asterisks next to their name. Yeah. You know, uh, oh, I won Which a reverse Which is unfortunate grid race. to say about so, some of the quality of guys who won races in that well, era. Well, Jason Richards' one and only Supercars Championship race win was mm. Winton 2006 reverse grid race. Yeah. It's a race win. It's in the championship record books. He mm. crossed the line first, but it's kind of got an asterisk next to it because uh, it was a reverse grid. You know, Dean Canto... One one in Perth, remember when Radisich <laughs> when Paul Radisich when they, didn't, yes. yeah, 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 who just about had, but then didn't. But at the end of the day, this is entertainment. We mm. want entertaining racing, uh, so I can understand the, the the concept of it and the logic behind it, and why it would be good or why it could be deemed appropriate, particularly in the current yeah. climate of a domination that's going on. Mm. But it seems but unlikely that 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 a reverse grid is going to be part of supercar plans yeah, in the immediate future. I don't think it's the answer. It's been there. It's it's been done before. David asks, where are the original two Peter Jackson DR30 Skylines, the two that were at Bathurst in 86? Well, the two that were at Bathurst in 86 were not the two original Peter Jackson Skylines because, remember, they introduced a new car for that Bathurst 1000, which was the, the George Fury Glen Seton car. with had its a much stiffer roll cage. Yeah, and, and it was an a nightmare. They, they had absolute disasters with it. So, mm. so there were three DR30s built, two run during the championship and then that new car that was introduced and then got refettled for the next year. So mm. uh, all those three cars are still around. Uh, from memory, Tony Elford, uh, who's got a lot of Nissan Gibson cars now, has one or two of those. And there's one, I think, up in Queensland okay. um, as well. So the good news is they all survive and they all uh, continue to exist. Danny asks, S5000, when's this series expected to start? How big is the expected field? Will there be a support category to the supercars? Three questions in one. Actually, he's got about five more bits <laughs> that he goes on with, but we can't quite do it all, Danny. So, uh, point one, Sandown. Sandown in Sand September. Sandown Correct. Grid, maximum 14 cars. Because there'll be 14 cars. Uh, one 
the, the car that's been doing the running at various events, the, the, the first car. Mm. There's another batch of four that have been put together at GRM, and then there's another batch of nine, nine coming yeah. from the United States that will be built up at GRM. So there'll be 14 cars. Um, will there be a support category to supercars? No, not at the moment. They'll run a couple of events on the Shannon's Nationals. Bill, I think there's a keen interest to do a Tasman series of some sort over mm. summer moving forward, uh, but for the future as to what where it runs, what it does, we shall see. Stuart asks, why don't supercars bring out a program, not a leaflet? That's a very specific question. (laughs) Now, I'm presuming that uh, he might be talking about Darwin because there is a program at all the supercar rounds and we're talking about a magazine program when you you walk in the gate with all the entry lists and the driver bios and the schedule and the support category entry lists. But I've, I've been of the understanding in recent years that there hasn't been a specific program in Darwin. I might be wrong on that, but... That's what I'm led to believe. And it might have even been a a wraparound or a lift out in the local paper or the like. So I think that's what he's discussing there, but we'll have to look into that one. One for you. Matt says, in regards to Craig Lowndes and the Le Mans 24-hour this year, uh, it was mentioned he had a drive, but there were sponsor issues. Do you know if it was a product issue, manufacturer issue, and what team car was it? The short answer is I don't know the answer. It, to that he question. didn't have a drive in the Le Mans 24 no. hours in one of the support category races, and I think there was a, a the brand. The LMP3? Uh, I think there was a branding or, yeah. clash with um, uh, his brands that he's associated with in Australia uh, and overseas. So mm. that's a shame. But uh, hopefully the Lounsey Le Mans project can uh, tick off and, uh, and work for next thing, year. Indeed. Yeah. Graham asks, what was the history behind the 2006 Peter Brock signature car, signature car and what has become of the car since 2006? Now, is that the silver Commodore that That's was right. in the paddock? Yep. That was a road car? Yeah, that, that was a HSV Holden Special Vehicles initiative. So okay. it, was a, um, it was a road car of some description um, with a body um, kit mm. added to it. A silver Commodore, and it was signed by the Holden drivers first at Bathurst in 2006, and then the fans were able to sign it as a memorial to, to Peter Brock. Um, it spent some time, I think it's in the hands of a private collector now, it spent some time up at the National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst a couple of years ago as part of a bit of a collection of Brock cars, uh, but that, that's the story behind it. It was, a, it was actually a HSV uh, initiative at the time to, uh, to honour and respect Peter Brock in 2006. Short, sharp one from Stefan. Frosty, going nowhere, car slash team, or just making the mid-pack numbers up? Uh, that's a bit harsh. Yeah. Um, for a guy sure. that was on pole early this it's, year. It's not, it's not the best year to be a Triple Eight customer team because no. they're not winning and they're you know struggling compared to their usual performances and results. But, I mean, we saw in Tassie, when things clicked there, he's, he's going to be up there. He's had some good races. He's fought his way through the pack. I said at the start of the year that I wouldn't be surprised if he won a race somewhere mm. this year. Um, I expected Triple Eight to be winning more races than they've been winning, to be honest. But I think Triple Eight um, expected to be winning more races than uh, they're winning. Well, did they? I, I don't reckon they did. True. I reckon that they went in the year knowing what they were up against uh, with that Mustang. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Yeah, probably a bit harsh there. And and the reality is we're only halfway through the season. So exactly. let's wait and see. I mean, everyone gives it to me on social. You keep just saying time will tell. You're not very committal or you don't really answer. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but yeah. um, probably a little bit rough at the moment. Guy coming to grips with new team, new car, new platform, new everything, engineer doing the same. And commuting um, from Canada to do so. Yeah, that makes it hard for Phil Keaton. He's yeah. got good frequent fly points this year, uh, so that's all a bit hard. Um, but it, they're all hey, smart look, everyone's got an opinion. So, yeah. look, cold light day, what is he, top 10 in the championship there or thereabouts? 
Yeah. Mm, could be worse. Could exactly. be worse. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, Peter asks, why don't they use the full circuit at the bend when the supercars race there? I reckon that'd be boring. Yeah. Do you remember when F1 used the full circuit at Bahrain? Yeah, it was dreadful. Horrendous. It'd be like trying to use the full track at Sydney Motorsport Park. I remember remember seeing that that, happen. That's tight, short, sharp. Not yeah. good for racing. Um, I think the real purpose of having the Benz long, long, long tracks is that then you can, with designing it that way, you can actually run two independent racetracks at the one time. Mm. But you need the length to be able to then have to two tracks at the same that, time. Yeah. So um, I don't think we need to be there. I think the racing was relatively good last year for the tyre that they were on. Mm. But remember, I think they needed a softer tyre to... Which they're not bringing this year. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. But we'll see. A year's learning, everyone goes back, has a think. Yeah. We'll see how we go. Yeah. yeah. And it all it takes is for a couple of cars to trip over one another and have a good scrap, and we all say that was the best race ever. So Exactly. You only need so, two cars to have a race. That's right. Uh, Adam asks, who out of all the supercars teams has the most written-off chassis? Brad Jones Racing would have to be up there. Well, yeah. they've shunted lots, but yeah. they come back from the dead, most of them. Yeah, they really do. I think they've really only written off one or two that will never come back. Um, Macaulay that, Jones is from Simmons Plains a couple of years ago in Super 2. That was mm. pretty badly damaged. But if you can salvage Jason Bright's rollover car that we spoke about at the start of the podcast. Exactly. Uh, from 2014, I think it was from memory. Mm. Um, you can do just about anything. Exactly. So the car that Macaulay crashed at the start of this year at Adelaide hasn't technically been written off. It's mm. just been pushed to one correct. side. Yeah, So correct. it is repairable. Big it's effort, just, big exactly. job. And easier and quicker given the race calendar to wheel out a spare, prep it up and push on with it. So, um, yeah, it's not all over for that other car that he had the crash in in Adelaide. But, um, yeah, I think, well, who else has written off chassis? FPR lost one with Chaz Mostert, shunt at Bathurst in qualifying in Indeed. 2015. Um, Triple Eight, uh, well, the Lee Holdsworth car from Darwin a few years ago from oh, Team 18, yes. that was a Triple Eight. That was their very first car, the future mm. chassis. Um, Any from, Walkinshaw cars? Um, not written off. Because even the 2014... Tanda Bathurst car well, came back. Came back. Yeah, not too many have been physically written off. A lot have looked it. Yeah, um, yeah. but uh, not a great deal. But of course, over the years, Dick Johnson racing with the John Bow car down at Phillip Island with the big rollover. Glenn that was Seaton racing written off. Yeah, Glenn, off a couple of. Yeah, they've lost a couple yeah. of cars. Well, that were built by them, but lost later on. Mm. Um, they lost one in testing down at Phillip Island in the early nineties with Drew Price. Uh, Charles Ryman, one of the privateers who had um, one of their cars a with huge, a failure. Yeah. Huge one. Um, so, yeah, there have been a few written off over the years, but probably not as many as you would think if you sat and looked at the highlights reels of all the big shunts. Mm. You'd think, oh, well, that's a write-off. Oh, yeah. no, came back. Sometimes it takes a while to get back, but they, uh, mm. they do make it back. Um, Nick asks, this is interesting, what are the prospects for Todd Hazelwood with the talk about Matt Stone Racing needing better backing is he at risk of being shafted for a driver with better backing the 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 drums are beating around the paddock about whether Matt Stone Racing will be there next year I don't think this is a case of Todd Hazelwood being mm. replaced no. but it's just that there's not going to be a home there for him 
because um, remember they are operating under Jason Bright's leased yes. racing entitlements contract, so they don't have a a commitment or a tie-in to race next year. They don't own a franchise, and their lease on that has to has to lapse at the end of this season because you can only lease a wreck for two, two years. years. Correct. So. Um, I think Todd's a ripping young guy. He's done a really solid job this year in... Oh, he's been ahead of the AAA yeah, factory cars. On a few on, occasions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, works hard. I mm. think the industry has huge respect for Todd Hazelwood in... He's still doing those sausage sizzles. He really he's, he's still he's pumping them out. for it, yeah. Absolutely. Very so. personable and very um, articulate yep. young man. Yep. Uh, I think he deserves a spot somewhere, somehow, but, of course, you don't get a spot just because you deserve it in this game. You've got to uh, pay for it or uh, get a lucky break. or, or you know, he's, he's definitely earned it. But, um, Indeed. What are his prospects? Yeah, we'll wait and see, but it's getting harder and harder by the year unless you are ensconced with one of the big teams or you have a... Uh, a sponsor connected and clicked in with you for the journey. Craig asks, what is your unicorn being the car that you have always wanted to sleuth? Is this Craig Lowndes? It's not Craig Lowndes. Oh, okay. Um, isn't it interesting? Hi, Craig, uh, before we answer the question, you. isn't it an interesting question in that to sleuth, mm. it's become a thing. Yeah. It's actually a verb to do. I, th- I think it always was. Yeah, I know. But... but <laughs> But in this instance of what we do, yeah, that, totally. that the fan base is saying, hey, what cars have you sleuthed lately? Or what's your yeah. car to sleuth? What is, what's the definition of to sleuth? To investigate. In our, in our to search. In, yeah. Okay. To query. To, to, yeah. to find cars. Yeah. Um, find out where they've been. Yeah. And what they're doing. It isn't they interesting, do. though. But, um, no, I, totally. I don't think I'd use the word in that sort of a sentence beforehand. Uh, there's probably a few cars that I think it's more a case of cars that we just would appear to have gone to God hmm. that uh, I don't think there will be ever really a proper answer on. But the 68 and 69 Bathurst winning Monaros, they seem to have just disappeared into oblivion. Uh, hmm. There's been various stories put out there as to what they could have been and where they could have gone. And some of them have some credible theories, but it's a real shame that those two pieces of Bathurst history um, aren't sitting in a collection somewhere or Indeed. tucked away, it would appear. They'd be the cars that I'd love to have, not for me to find, but just that the industry or that the world could see survived and yeah. here's the full, proper, true and correct story and history of them and isn't it all great? But um, Of course, back then, they were as soon as they were done with, they were just old race cars. Yeah. Get the next one, move yeah. it on, get whatever turn it you can get for it. Turn it into a roadie, sell it, or hack it up and turn it into a sports sedan or yeah. do whatever you want to do. Uh, Shane asks, do you think supercars will look international for the next new calendar venue? Personally, I think now's the time to have another crack at the States, given the introduction of the Mustang and the talk around the Camaro. Uh, my mm. take, your take, I think we're looking the same way here. Yeah, I don't think it's... We talked about this before in terms of the money in the category at the moment. I don't think going overseas is really, unless it was to Asia and there's an actual an actual justifiable investment that's coming from there in terms of an increase in sponsorship or I don't, a I manufacturer don't or a manufacturer. Or a, yes. Yeah, I, I can't see it, and I don't think we're going to have any new venues on the calendar. If anything, mm. uh, the drums are beating that we will we'll lose one or two for next year to tighten the belt of the number of events that teams are doing. So. Uh, calendar due to be wheeled out they're talking about Townsville mm. and not just that but also the viewpoint for the new gen car regulations for 2021 and a few other things that supercars want to wheel out all in one big hit rather than drip feeding 
I gotta say, also impressive that they're going to have a calendar ready, or potentially will have a calendar ready by tonight. I can't remember a time when a calendar was ready that early. No. Which, yeah, full credit to the team at Supercars if they're able to execute that. Yeah, which is great because it allows a lot of people to plot and plan where they're going and how they're going. The one I'm really interested in, and this is a real case of, uh, let's just stop and think about the last time, this winter break. Mm. I like the idea in terms of the industry, the people who work so hard in it, the mechanics, the crews, the people in the race teams, the people in organisational roles through supercars and cams and everyone who every two or three weeks is lugging their bags out the door and saying goodbye to their wife or their husband or their partner or their kids or their dog or whatever it is or all of the above um, to get a break because sometimes it's really hard over summer because it's a short turnaround. It's not a big off-season anymore. Mm. Um, But remember when we had that big break in the middle of the year and Tony Cochran, I think Mm. it was 2011, somewhere around there, said, oh, we won't be doing that again. That was a major mistake. Lost all the momentum. Um, I don't think the football codes overrun us as much in winter as we would all probably stop and think they do sometimes. I think that's a fair point because ultimately you look at the media coverage that the football codes have, it's omnipresent from... Well, you look at from an AFL standpoint, a journalist at the Herald Sun told me a couple of years ago it had been six years since there was an edition of the Herald Sun put out without an AFL story in the paper, in the back of the paper, mm. which, considering they don't play for 12 months of the year... <laughs> but what they have done, Will, and we're, we're turning this into a bit of a footy chat, but it's relevant, mm. they've increased their news cycle mm. infinitely. So I remember when I was a kid in the 90s or the late 80s, the grand final would be played... The game's over. Congratulations to the champions of the year. Thanks, everybody. See you later. For for four months, five months, football disappeared and then cricket. Mm. But now, what have you got? The minute that the grand final's virtually done and the cup's awarded, straight away, what are we into? Trade period? Mm. Um, Who's going to go where? Who's on the line? Who's a free agent? Who's not? Who's a restricted free agent? Um, We've got AFLW now, which has filled a great part of the calendar. Mm. the AFLX is a whole other matter of a pre-season mm. thing. But what I'm saying is there's no week that they've now filled that gap. Yeah. So when you take out the, the season and the ins and outs and the regular flow of all the games and all the scandals and all the things that go on <laughs> during the year, um, that four-month-odd period in the off-season, it's not that much of an off-season. So I, I, we don't play that many times. We don't have that many teams. We don't have that many athletes. So... Mm. Um, having an eight- or nine-week break in the middle of the year there, I understand it, but I just I would always hazard that you've got to always remember your history. Mm. And the last time we did this, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and everyone went, oh, actually, mm. I could, there's pluses and minus there's, for it. There's but- not to say it can't work. You just need to make sure that when you're coming out of that break, you're landing a very big punch. You're coming back with a big event that can make a big splash. Yeah, absolutely. That's key to it. I don't think we go. Working. I don't think we go missing as much as people think we do in winter. Remember that mm. in this period we race in Darwin, in Townsville, markets that are very solid for supercars, mm. that have got great support, that have had great history, um, that are big events for those regions and areas. Um, but I understand the reasoning of, of what's going to happen. I hope it goes well, and I hope that um, everyone gets a nice big break, and then we hit that second half of the year with the enduros and. All of those big events um, at speed, and, and it goes really well. But we'll wait and see. Uh, Blake asks, what numbers on cars from 1 to 100 have never been run on a car in the history of the Australian Touring Car slash V8 Ooh. Supercar Championship? 
Interesting. I'd, I've looked this up. Yeah. Every number between 1 and 100 has been used at some stage, mm-hmm. in some year, in some race. Um, I think from our quick check, the lowest number that hasn't been used is about 106, 107. Mm-hmm. Remembering back to things like the 105 Mobile, Brad Jones, Sierra, there yes. was the um, the years in the 60s and 70s where cars ran with 100s that were series prod cars uh, in touring car rounds when it was improved production was the normal um, cars that people were driving. So, uh, yeah, lo- lots of rare and various Unusual, numbers. Yeah. But, um, no, there hasn't been a number between 1 and 100 that hasn't been used in the history of the championship. Uh, Jory asks, to bring more interest in supercars, should it go further towards GT3 so cars look like real cars again and they can include more manufacturers? GT3 racing is excellent. There are a lot of excellent manufacturers in there, but it's not cheap. But there's the biggest problem. There's one of the most common things. GT3 is not does not have manufacturers in it. Yes, important Yes, there are Audis. Make. Yes, there are BMWs. Yes, there are Porsches, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. But their business on, structure is the same as TCR. It's a customer car category. Exactly. The manufacturers are not in there spending money running race teams. They are making money selling customer cars and supporting teams with factory drivers with Mm. technical support with engineering support Um, and that's what tcr is as well it's a customer car category so Mm. um, that's where this comparison is probably not quite the way to look at i understand what jury's saying though Uh, we just need to cut some costs out of supercars i think that's the biggest thing rather than wholesale changing it to to gt3 cool cars love them they're ace but uh, i think we just need to focus on what we've got if you've invested in a supercar team and all the hardware that goes with it at the moment. No it's a lot to undo. Don't, don't want to throw it all out, no, do you? No. So, yeah, I, I can't see that one happening. Brian asks, Camaro when? Uh, I don't no, think we're don't, going to see it. Yeah. Well, not till 2021 at the absolute well, first if the, the, the regs need to that, change to make it And that would be pushing it, it. I would be surprised if Walkinshaw Andretti United would want to try and, with the amount of time between now... The, the focus was, is on the Commodore. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly where they've aimed and that's what we've read in recent times. So... I I don't think it's a case of Camaro win. No, Camaro if. Camaro if. I yeah. think that's a better one. Uh, Tommy asks, sorry, I'm asking all the questions. I'm just hitting the balls over the net and you're hitting them back, so that's okay, but you can serve the next one. Indeed. Uh, podcasts have been brilliant. Thanks, Thank Tommy. You. Oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> um, of all the drivers, a relevant era, who's the best on paper by results? Race wins, round wins, enduros, polls. Well, we don't really count the enduros in the championship statistics, but mm. reality is that back in the day, there were lots of enduro races that – don't form part of the stats book for the championship. Well, just look, for argument's sake, look at Peter Brock. If you throw in all his Bathurst wins and the Sandown 500 or Sandown Endurance race wins mm. that weren't part of the championship, that's, what, the best part of 15 you're adding to his tally? Because there are already some of those Sandowns that count towards exactly. the championship. The years that they were concurrent in 76 and 77. Mm. Um, this is an apples and oranges one for me. The numbers will always have been swayed in different eras of different years. By results, uh, I mean, Wing Cup tops the list of championship race winners in the Australian Touring Car Championship, V8 Supercars, Supercars Championship. Yes. Um, I think to add up all of Brock's uh, Touring Car Championship, Enduros, Bathurst, Sandowns, Miscellaneous. Amscar. I didn't win that many in Amscar. No. Didn't do it very often, to be honest. Um, I think he'd, we'd, we'd probably get around the Wing Cup number, but mm. I don't think we'd go far past it. No. And just remember, back in those in the 70s and the like, there were touring car races at 
Tasman series events or at uh, Rothman series events or mm. um, that were small fields that were not of the quality of a championship race or a big ticket Bathurst race. But uh, one day uh, we'll sit down and count all those. But I think that's a personal decision and choice on who you feel is the best in whatever area you feel is the, the most relevant to, to judge it on. Jackie asks, what happened to Shane Price? He drove with Jack Perkins when Perkins Engineering ran the Jack Daniels Commodores in 2007, 2008. Yep. Yeah, what's he up to? It's been a while since we've seen Shane. Um, he's been very much off the radar from, from motorsport. Mm. Um, Comes from a strong karting background, Yeah, big karting family. background. Uh, I think he's doing his own thing. Uh, we should track him down and have a catch up with him. And uh, I think, uh, from my memory, I think his last appearance with us was with Brad Jones when he co-drove with Jason Bargwiner at Bathurst mm. in 2011 or thereabouts. So um, we haven't seen much of Shane in some time. He was a great young talent in that. Um, 06 season with the development series mm. with Larry Perkins' team. He finished runner-up to Adam Macro in the series, um, came on strong in the latter part of their first year in V8s when he and Jack Perkins came in, but he got thrown in the deep end when he and Jack both went in the main game, and I think that really hurt both of them um, mm. in terms of their careers, and Shane sort of never really recovered, um, and clearly the, the pressure of it all and uh, was all pretty tough to deal with so uh, we would love to catch up with him because he's a, a ripping young bloke who uh, I'm sure has a, a story to tell so maybe that's a, a Saturday sleuthing for the supercars website for us to do somewhere down the track. Kaz asks are you happy with the way GRM treated Garth Tander? Mm, am I happy? That's uh, a business decision. Exactly. I think it's pretty clear uh, it's either get Boost Mobile on board who want Richie Stanaway or don't get Boost Mobile on board and question whether you keep a supercars team because you don't have a big sponsor to fund it. One employee versus 40. Pretty much. Pretty much. Tough decision, harsh decision. A shame for Garth Tander that he didn't get a farewell full-time event season lead-up and the like. Uh, that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometime. And uh, you, don't, you don't have a race team for as long as Gary Rogers has without making the tough decisions when you need to make them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And look, at the end of the day, Garth Tanner's ended up at the Holden Racing Team for the Enduros with Triple Eight. Every chance he'll be there for a couple of years, he could jag a couple of Bathurst that he wouldn't have got at GRM. So, mm. And he's doing some other racing and it's not worked out too bad. Yeah. Um, Andrew Kirk asks, opinions on holding an Enduro at night? Sandown or the Bend 500k race? I well, think you, I know what residents near Sandown yeah, would say about that. Yeah, that won't happen. No, that's not allowed to happen. Uh, would anyone go to a nighttime 500k race at the Bend? Be good for TV. It would. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I think whenever we can go racing at night, we should it's try cool to do it to wherever do. we can. Clearly, mm-hmm. there's a big expense in the lights and the infrastructure. But Sydney was proof last year. Perth was solid this year. Um, we need to be racing at the times that suit when people are watching and can watch and do watch or will attend. Hmm. And, I mean, look at football, look at cricket, look at... Look at the number, the TV numbers from the Perth Super Sprint. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just look at these other sports, though, that play yeah. regularly at night. That's the marquee, you know, in AFL, Friday night football. Yeah. it's I would presume is the highest rating... One of the the weekend Surely. of a football round, uh, same whatever the code, yeah, whatever the code. So state of origin play for NRL we, we played to, on a Wednesday night. Yeah, we need to position our racing at the best time the most people can watch it or attend it. Mm. So I I wouldn't be averse to a and you just mentioned state of origin. Mm. Doesn't matter what night state of origin, it's a big deal. People watch it. People go to it every year for mm. three matches. I wouldn't be averse to a supercars event 
race meeting on a Wednesday or a Thursday night. Made for TV. Makes a lot of sure, sense. Sure, it'd be handy for... And you might do it in the warmer months, but position it at a time when you're going to land the best amount of eyeballs. Mm. Yeah. And well, well, you go back to what we were talking about, about the sport potentially disappearing in certain parts of the year. You look at what it's up against mid, from a media coverage perspective midweek, there's nothing that strong with other sports that it wouldn't be the primary thing. There's no game, There's no AFL footy games or NRL games on Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Exactly. AFL creeping back into Thursday nights mm. now a bit more. So something to consider. We'll yeah. see. Uh, Chris asks, how long before Will Brown has a full-time supercars drive? Interesting. Showing all the right signs, but he's got to do something in Super 2 this year. And consistently year. Yeah. do it rather than flashes of what he's capable of. Mm. Well, I guess the other question is, where are the available Where? seats on the grid? Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. Because you wouldn't necessarily want to just bowl in anywhere. I think he's got a reasonable relationship with Erebus, and if you were to see one of those drivers move on at some point, maybe. Hmm. Would make sense, but the, mm. the reality is you're right. Yeah. Where's there a chair for him to sit in, um, and what does it take to get him in the chair? I think that the whole silly season situation we've got unfolding at the moment with Chas Mostert's the, the big ticket element of it mm. does he stay at Tickford does he go to Penske do Penske is there want him there yeah uh, do they keep Fabian yeah. does Scott want to go to America somewhere down the track and they need to replace like for like and bring mm. in someone who can essentially pick up where he left off uh, is Walkinshaw a factor for Mostert mm. so we, we, wherever that that's the domino that needs to fall before then the cascading waterfall of, yeah. <laughs> of opportunity and possibility for the rest of the world sort of takes into account um I think Will Brown needs to win the Super 2 Series and he needs to do some more winning in there to to really bold and underline his credentials to, to step forward. Clearly got the talent, great personality, personality. infectious type of guy. He's yeah. doing well in TCR. Um, and I'm not just saying this too because we have um, supported Will with Eggleston Motorsport at Bathurst a couple of years ago. Uh, V8 Sleuth stickers on his car uh, to help him out, to get him up to that first Supercars weekend for him uh, racing in the in the Super 2 category. Um I don't think it matters who you are or what involvement you've had. He's clearly a guy with a lot of talent. He's won lots of series. He's won lots of races in everything he's been in. Mm. Um, and one day, somewhere down the track, I think we'll see him in a main game car, but which one, when, how? Time yeah. will tell. Time will tell. Exactly. Jeff asks, should supercars use two compounds, uh, that's tyres, mm. uh, in some races like Formula One? We've been down that road. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, but the problem is it ended up sending everyone down the same path. Exactly, because everyone works it out. Everyone works out what not to do, mm. i.e. don't be on the wrong tyre at the end of the race and make sure you've got a fresh set of softs. Yeah, so it, but I, it does add another level of possibility and capability to the whole thing. But I think we moved away from having more and more of those option tyres because of the cost factor mm. a few years back. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of a mix-up here and there. But you have to have a big difference in the tyres. Yes. There's no point in having two types of tyres that are a couple of tenths, couple of tenths apart. apart. They need to be, when those ones those ones last 10 laps less and they drop off a second a lap, you know, have a real steep change to it. But you're mm. right, everyone will figure out the best way to play the game and everyone will play the game the same. So, and, anyway. no, and no one will want a rotating roulette table of, oh, 
constant change of format or how they're... Nah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, I like the thought. Yeah. Um, another one here. Um, I'm often perplexed by win comparisons across the eras. For example, McLaughlin passing Moffat's win record last Sunday. Uh, that's in Darwin. Mm-hmm. Um, totally different eras, and it's like comparing chalk and cheese. Scott can rack up four potential race wins a month. Moffat may have only had one opportunity in the same period. I find it somewhat belittling to our past champions. What are our thoughts? I don't find it belittling, mm. but I can understand how people could feel that way. It's apples and oranges. Yeah. You've it's just got fruit. to understand it's a different era. Different formats, about. different competition levels, different number of races in each era. Alan Moffat had seven rounds of the championship, for example, in the early 70s that he could do. Mm. So seven races weren't multiple races. You qualified once and you race and that was it. Uh, Scott McLaughlin has, what, 31, 32 opportunities this year. Mm. It's all comparative. Is the field he's racing against this year more competitive than the field Alan Moffat lined up against in 1972 or three? Yes. Yes. I would say it is. Um, but I understand what he's saying. So I think you can really – percentages are the exactly big key. Exactly what I was about to say. Percentages are the big key. How many times did each of these blokes line up on the grid – in X year, and how many times did they win? Or how many times did they get a pole from how many times they had an opportunity for a pole? Hmm. I think it's the percentages that you have to look at that really sum it up. And those percentages show Moffat is the man. Yeah. I think everyone overlooks this. So he did about 100 rounds, and he won pretty much 30 of them, I think it was. A one in three strike rate. Hmm. Show look, me look at that in any era. Jamie Winkup's yeah. strike rate roughly is about 20% of mm. races started to race as one in the championship. So it's easy to get us lost in the list of the number of race wins, the number of poles, because there's more poles available now than you know mm. has been for a long time. Um, although we've had a period now since 2009 where we've had qualifying for every race. Mm. So we've had 26 to 36 poles per year for some time. So now we're seeing the Winkups, the McLaughlins, the Van Gisbergens, the current guys, they're starting to knock off some of the legends in those stats categories. Mm. So um, I understand how it's seen by this question as belittling, but if you just look at the next tier of those stats, look at the percentages Mm. And that'll tell you the real story as to whether it's impressive or not as impressive that Joe Blow has 100 wins now or 100 podiums. Because remember, you get a podium in every race now. So it's, um, it's one of those things that it is what it is. But it's, it's apples and oranges. And it depends on what argument you're trying to mount as to which one, where, why, and how, and what matters, and who did what to who. All that. Exactly. Uh, Sean asks, what's the current entry list look like for the race at Winton this year for the old V8s? Which is the V8 Sleuth Touring Car Classic. Kumo Tire V8 Sleuth Touring Car Classic. That's right. They'll be on Kumo Rubber. Um, Chipping along, entries are just recently officially opened. We have been getting a few entries, though, uh, in the past of people who've already made a commitment to run. Um, We'll release an entry list a bit closer to the event, but it's building away quite nicely for what we want. Uh, Is it going to be a regular thing is Sean's second part of the question. Uh, TBC. Oh, we'd like to. It'd be great to do one or two of these next year at an appropriate venue or event or the like. Um, we'll get through this one, see what everyone's feedback is and um, decide from there. But I think I'd like it to be a regular thing. Not a series, but a 
once, twice, maybe three times in different markets thing where we can yeah. bring this event to a Shannon's Round or to an historic event or to a wherever, whatever. We're, a regular op- we're open to ideas. Great era of touring car racing. Open to ideas. Indeed. Uh, Cam Kirby asks, ah, oh, this is Cam Kirby of uh, Wheels fame. Mm. Uh, do you think McLaughlin's current ride will become the most successful chassis in the sport? As an antidote to that, any ideas what chassis done the most races without a win in any tier of supercar racing? Well, the first part, it's got the be- it's definitely got the best chance of any chassis on the grid at the moment of becoming the most successful. So what's he up to race win-wise this year? Out of 16 races, he's won 12. Yeah. The record's 28, mm. which is Jamie Wincup's Kate, Triple Eight Commodore from 2011-2012. So considering that there's, what, 15, 16 races left to go in the season... Never Unless something untoward happens yeah, to that chassis, he'll yeah, use it for the rest of this season. And, and probably in the next year. year. Yeah, so I think there's... There's every inch of chance that that could happen. Um, and we're basing most successful chassis off most races won. Mm. So he's off to a good start there. Uh, and, and the chassis that's done the most races without a win, uh, we had to go through the stats books to figure this one out. Uh, that's why we have an industry-leading database here that no one in the industry has but us. We're the only people who could give you this information without having to wait five years of sifting through papers that someone else would have to do to do this. Mm. The car that's done the most races without winning is the Walkinshaw uh, HRT Commodore VF Car of the Future that remember when they wheeled out their first Car of the Future in a black and gold launch mm. livery? Um, that Stunning car, looking car. Yeah, it looked great. Later it was used by Russell Ingall. Garth Tandy used it after his shunt at, uh, well, Warren Luff shunt at Bathurst in 2014. Mm. I think Tim Slade used it briefly. Yep. Um, it ended up at Erebus for a time with a, a couple of different drivers, including Dale Wood. Uh, and it's now in Super 2 with um, Adam Marjoram. Uh, WR016 never has won a race in the main game or in the Super 2 category. It started, I think, off the top of my head. I didn't bring the sheet with me for the recording, but 130 or 140-odd races, and it's never won one. But came, it did come close. Came within about 100 mils of fuel of winning a race. Phillip Island, Garth Tander, 2014, I think it was. Correct. Got uh, pipped on the line by Scott McLaughlin when the, the car coughed. Yeah, that's right. So... There you go. There's the answer to that one. Uh, What will... Let me... uh, I got fried by this because I thought, is this a question you've asked? Because it's an Instagram handle, C will race. It's not you. I don't race. Oh, good. I know money. Yeah, fair fair point. Join the queue. Mm. Uh, What would be your fifth Bathurst race? So there's obviously a fifth Bathurst date up for grabs at the moment. There's a few different organisations who are pitching different concepts and events uh if you were pitching what would you pitch what would you like what would if you wanted to go to bathurst for another time in the year which let's face it not a bad idea Mm. uh what would you want to see a full full full-on historic celebration well i want to say historic a full-on celebration of old race cars nice broad sort of spectrum so open wheelers touring cars whatever so it's an historic race meeting I sort guess of. look at look at Island Classic. Yep. Trying not to say Goodwood, but you yeah, look at what. But you everyone look at what is they, exactly. But yeah. you look at okay. So you look at what they do in the US with their historic races, uh, Classic Le Mans, that sort of style, but with open wheelers, with touring cars, cars that are significant in Australian, potentially with the odd ringer from overseas. Hmm. Sounds good. I'd, I'd be up for that. Mm. Uh, we'll wait and see what gets decided and who gets awarded and what all unfolds with all that but anytime we can go back to Bathurst for another event 
not such a bad thing. Uh, uh, we got any wise. more questions or are we just uh, about my, done? My one is done. I'm done. My sheet's You're done. done. Well. Your sheet's done. Um, that's a big Q&A session. We've got through a lot of ground here in Q&A for the V8 Sleuth podcast. Um, we'll put out more calls on social media in upcoming weeks to do more uh, questions and answer sessions, but we hope that's covered off a lot for everybody here on uh, what they've asked. We, we can't get to the ball, but we've, we've done as many as possible. We've given, we've given it a fair crack. We had a red hot go. We really did. Well, thanks, Noons. That is all for this week's edition. Keep an eye out on our V8 Sleuth Facebook, Instagram and Twitter for when we put out the call for questions ahead of our next Q&A. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the V8 Sleuth podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss the next episode when it comes out. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth podcast.